remember I, I, I contacted an old colleague about building a, a machine for me. And he literally said, Felix, I, I just want to hang up the phone. Like this chopstick idea is not really what you made your PhD for. Or is it? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm actually serious about this. I think this this really has a potential to rethink manufacturing. And and we would love to provide these micro factories as, as full solutions to 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 be franchised. And he said, no, like we, we can't put engineers on this idea. Like this is not gonna work. You're listening to Waste Design Shop a weekly show about how founders, creatives, and innovators are using waste as a raw material to create innovative design products. What if you could turn today's trash into tomorrow's billion-dollar business idea? We're here to open your mind to what's possible. Learn what waste products are ripe for the picking, get inspired to design for a circular economy, and shop to reflect your values of a brighter and healthier future. I'm your host, Emily Packer, founder of Cold Harbor Tiles. Today, we're learning from Felix Bach, the CEO and founder of Chop Value Manufacturing, a circular economy microfactory franchise concept that recycles chopsticks for new design products. As of April 2021, Chop Value has recycled and transformed nearly 33.5 million chopsticks into tables, shelves, staircases, cutting boards, and more. I spoke to him virtually from his base in Vancouver, where he's been steadily making a difference, one chopstick at a time. My name is Felix Buck. Um, I'm a wood engineer uh, who moved from Germany all the way to Vancouver, Canada, six years ago to do his PhD in structural bamboo products. Vancouver is is beautiful. Um, I think that would be the very, very first thing that comes to mind. Um, it, it's one of these cities that uh, when I Googled it the first time many years ago, I was like, wow, this is is this actually the city where I have the chance to to move temporarily as an as an international student? And and then once once you're here, um, you know, it's it's a young city, dynamic city that is having a lot of green developments. Uh, it's close to the ocean. Uh, it's right at the ocean, actually, and uh, uh, forest and mountains. And it's it's kind of it kind of to me feels like uh, the bigger version of home where I grew up in the Alps in in Germany. I was an international student in 2011 already, and after that I had a a job opportunity in Ethiopia. Um, And this is where, as a young wood engineer, I actually got introduced to bamboo as a raw material. And uh, from there I I learned a lot about startups, a lot about socioeconomic impact, and I I built my network uh, in in that very niche uh, bamboo industry. uh, when I had the chance to come back, I, I got invited to be part of a research collaboration with MIT and Cambridge. Um, yeah, when I invited to come back, it was kind of, you know, a, a no-brainer. Throughout my relationship with the university and other research institute, I, I got hired um, uh, with a few other young professionals uh, to work on construction waste from demolished construction sites because we have such a rapidly changing housing market here where uh, so much waste, uh, especially wood waste, just gets dumped on the landfill. And to me, this is an absolute 
like frustrating and bitter thing to see because uh, wood should never ever be defined as waste. Um, it's always a resource for a continuous other process. At least that's you know how I grew up in in Europe where we we are where we are much more resource efficient. Um, I, I then realized that the industry here, um, you know, all over North America, uh, they don't really have the same urgency and need to be as resource efficient, um, which, which, which kind of is frustrating to see because if you, if it's easier for you to, to go into the natural forest and harvest some uh, virgin fiber, so, you know, natural trees because of the economic efficiency, um, rather than taking the recycled wood that you already have in front of you in the city, um, you know, there is a big gap. There's, there's some sort of a misunderstanding or some sort of a lack of innovation or a gap of knowledge transfer, why this is not the norm. And this is when I started saying, okay, if I can't change the bigger traditional conservative industry with their already existing thinking, what if I could show um, a viable circular economy model with something simple like uh, recycling chopsticks? I think even from the first moment I, I thought about it, I, I had that feeling it would take off because because it is so easy and it's it's it's, it's one of these ideas where you where you're asking yourself why has no one done that before? I, I knew um, if we're creating something that that just everyone understands and everyone follows, it could not only be that beautiful product piece at the end. It could really also be that thought leadership piece that we can then transfer to the much bigger problems or much bigger thinking on, on more unutilized resources that we already have in our life cycle uh, within our cities. I remember I, I, I contacted an old colleague about building a, a machine for me and he literally said, Felix, I, I just want to hang up the phone. Like this chopstick idea is not really what you made your PhD for, or is it? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm actually serious about this. I think this this really has a potential to rethink manufacturing, and and we would love to provide these micro factories as as full solutions to 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 be franchised. And he said, no, like we we can't put engineers on this idea. Like this is not gonna work. <laughs> and um, yeah, and. That, that is, those are the little challenges you go through at the beginning. In North America, 95% of the chopsticks are actually made out of bamboo. Um, the species is Moso bamboo, which is the most common species in, in China. Uh, and that explains where the chopsticks are coming from. And uh, when you go to Asia, um, funny enough, they actually use uh, most of the disposal chopsticks are balsa, poplar, or cedar, uh, sorry, fir, um, for their chopsticks in Japan. And uh, that's that's kind of funny because they're much closer to the bamboo resource, but um, bamboo is often seen as the poor man's timber because it's hollow. So uh, it doesn't seem to be the same quality for disposable chopsticks, and that's why they are sent to North America, um, because we don't really have the same cultural perception of the chopstick and and would probably use any material for disposable. Um, from a wood engineering perspective, I love them all because uh, you have to think of it as a very slender, slim, perfect 
simplistic uh, fiber, if you think of, it, think of it in scale, that has no knots and no cracks and has a perfect quality to become a new engineering material. Uh, every week, around 350,000 chopsticks um, get delivered from all the restaurant partners that we have uh, set up recycling bins. So our production team is around six to eight people. And one of those uh, people, uh, one of those team members uh, drive around every week uh, to pick up the chopsticks from our partner restaurants um, to have that appreciation for the raw material. And that raw material, um, these, these chopsticks, they enter our facility and they have to go on a scale so we know uh, how much each restaurant actually recycled that week so that we can provide them uh, with their environmental impact statistics. And from there, these bags of chopsticks uh, enter a screening table uh, where they get shaken uh, with a lot of vibration and movement um, so that they get all sorted uh, into, into one uh, longitudinal direction before they get dipped into a water-based resin. Um, then they go into a drying tunnel uh, where they uh, get dried. And from that dryer, they go into the heart of the process, which is our hydraulic hot press. Um, so depending on the end product, there are different press times, different temperatures, uh, and different pressures where that these, these, these chopsticks get highly densified into that new, unique, uniform uh, material property. Um, the... The interesting part of that process of, of chopstick to raw material is that we are not um, cleaning them with water or with chemicals because that would just add an extra layer of energy um, uh, or, or waste that we would add to the process that we would like to avoid. So they're really only getting um, cleaned through the production process itself where we get rid of all the contamination through that really, really high temperature uh, hydraulic hot press. We pretty much make uh, anything that you could think of can be built modular in, 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 in the most beautiful way where we can use our patterns for tabletops, desktops, um, uh, feature walls in residential and commercial spaces. Uh, and then we have all these beautiful sustainable home decor products ranging from cutting boards to uh, charcuterie platters. Um, we have these, these hexagon tiles and hexagon shelf combinations that go on the wall. And um, to be honest, the most exciting product uh, we've ever developed is about to launch in the next two to three weeks. Um, and it's, it's the first product that I've, I always joke with my team. It's the first product that I think actually makes sense <laughs> because it's, it's, it's functional and beautiful. It's a, it's a small, slim shelving system. And we called it SMILE. Um, and SMILE stands for uh, the Shelving Module for Inspired Living. And uh, we believe it, it, you know, it, it brings some positive news. Uh, it, it's also a climate positive product. Uh, it has uh, no impact on the environment. And I feel like that's a winner. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to find that strategic partner that we're currently looking for to launch this on the bigger scale. We opened a few other cities. Um, uh, with, with our own team and our and our own ownership. And uh, we, we just refer to our locations as micro factories. And, and in order to, um, to, to, to grow faster and, and not hold back such an amazing idea, we thought, what if you could be your own owner of these micro factories? And, and instead of making people uh, 
you know, wait until we expand to their locations. Uh, we wanted to give um, them the chance um, to own their their own. And uh, you know, I'm I'm coming from the manufacturing background. I've I've worked for large scale um, uh, machine manufacturers, but also in factory layout planning. And I just thought if I could provide um, uh, like a franchise concept in the circular economy space that is doing good for the environment and allows young professionals to own their own business for their own market, I think I should price it in a way that they get the full solution without, you know, without thinking much other than their own market and that they can start immediately and it's the lowest barrier of entry. Um, so I, to me, this is this is how we can create the biggest impact, not only for our business, but also for the environment. And this is why we decided to to go with that franchising route. If we if we play this scenario through, um, the biggest strength of this micro factory is that you can react to your local market needs. Uh, I'm not only thinking about benches. I'm thinking about imagine a, a Chobali micro factory in Tokyo. And obviously, Tokyo uh, has a has a need for completely different designs and completely different products. Where we want to make sure that every micro factory owner feels comfortable and confident to produce their own designs, because they know their local market best. Um, so yes, uh, they can pretty much develop whatever um, fits the material properties. And um, if they need design support, they can always reach out uh, to the corporate team. Uh, but this is just a supporting role to make sure we are going through some of the engineering aspects so that they're not designing, I don't know, full buildings or bridges out of the material that, you know, would cost them some liability. But when it comes to purely sustainable home decor and furniture, uh, we give every local uh, micro factory market um, full flexibility in, in what they want to design and develop because they know best. I totally lost track um, if like where we learned the term urban harvesting uh, if this actually came up in, in in our team i have no uh, recollection of, of how this term came about um, but we love the term because um, what it means is we're not we are harvesting all our resources in our urban environments without touching our natural resources at all um, and I, I found other terms that describe similar things like urban mining, um, which is often used in, in for scrapyards and stuff. But what we love about urban harvesting, it is connected to the urban forest. So every natural material that we already have, uh, either as a disposable or as a short-term usable, uh, is something we aim with microfactories in urban areas to harvest in the future. I'm, I'm trying to find a silver lining here of this pandemic that we're currently in while we're having this interview, because uh, I think everyone understands now more the relevance of what we are trying to achieve, of de-globalizing de our supply chains, where we are not relying on one big mass manufacturer at one location that is, you know, really, really testing um, their environmental footprint and their entire ecosystem around that big, big factory, um, and rather decentralizing that concept and making products that are relevant in each local market with resources that are available in these local markets. And we just happen to work with chopsticks that are globally everywhere available, but completely ignored and neglected. 
and this is this is this is the whole concept of uh, rethinking manufacturing on a, on a global scale with local impact through all these distributed microfactories. So I'm 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 running you through a practical example. Um, we, we could have started shop value in Vancouver, and then if we would have had a very traditional mindset of a very traditional industry uh, leader, we would have said, okay, we are launching our recycling program in every city in North America, and they have to ship the chopsticks to Vancouver, and we're building this, you know, um, huge company in in Vancouver with I don't know. 500 employees and we are processing all chopsticks in North America into new products. Well, that's that's a possibility, but the biggest footprint of, of that particular company will be logistics and transport, which I would like to avoid because we are measuring our carbon footprint as part of our impact statistics. And we wanna make sure uh, that, that we leave every resource that is already implemented in a city and in use for 20 to 30 minutes, that we are not shipping that resource before it gets processed and rather establish jobs and, and local market opportunities wherever that resource is already existing. I think this is the whole idea behind uh, distinguishing between mass manufacturing in one location um, and then shipping resource and end product versus eliminating uh, as many logistical process steps as you can and 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 control the entire supply chain locally wherever you are because uh during this entire pandemic we had zero interruptions in our production uh, and zero interruptions of our team because no one is traveling they're all local and i think that really speaks for the system itself to, even during a pandemic i'm obviously not naive and and um, i know a lot a lot of uh, that is based on uh, people who criticize me that you can only uh, make money if you automate 100% and if you are scaling faster and better and higher. And I understand all that. You know, I worked for IKEA industry before and I think they know best what scale looks like. Um, but what's what's truly different from the 60s where we where we had all also distributed manufacturing in the automotive sector versus today where we have these gigafactories is um, today we have to rethink where we produce and how we produce because we have access to new technology. So new technology allows us to pretty much manage production online uh, in multiple locations without physically being there. We can have dashboards where we fully understand their supply levels, their production levels, um, but also their market needs and their market demands, um, as long as they're diligent enough to, to enter all their data. So, um, you know, new technology allows us to to, to come up with new thinking. And this is why I believe that going back to this, this, this localized uh, but standardized microfactory thinking is really the way forward and, and, and presents itself as a huge opportunity. Our biggest environmental goal is to, to, to leave uh, either no impact or less impact on the environment uh, by making a viable product. Right, so that we have achieved by keeping everything local and running everything efficient. So, what we did, we we made a life cycle assessment on on our raw material itself. So that little chopstick, you know, that travels uh, six thousand miles from from Asia to North America and is in use for only twenty to thirty minutes, that usually gets dumped. And then, even though it's compostable or or decomposable in on landfills, even though that is the case, it would still release 
uh, all that energy that was used to produce that chopstick for a 20-minute use into the environment. Um, so that carbon captured and that energy captured, we're now calculating back into our process. And we try to use um, machinery and, and vehicles and, uh, and, and track pretty much every single step in our process to make sure that we are not um, producing more energy per product as we are capturing by, uh, by recycling it and keeping it uh, in, in that life cycle that it already um, that, that, that already has with its own footprint. That's what that really means. Um, carbon negative is often misleading. We also call it climate positive. Uh, and, and our main goal, um, no matter how fast we grow and how big we expand uh, nationally or internationally, is to stay carbon neutral in the long run. Because I think that's the actual realistic goal uh, that every manufacturer should thrive for. End of life. So we take it back. Uh, we can we can actually crush it back into its raw material and press it back um, to to new products, uh, which I find very interesting because you could now circle back that product multiple times for multiple generations to make sure you keep that carbon captured in uh, in your products. The ones that want to create change, like me, have to tackle this all of a sudden, not only from a uh, feel-good perspective, but, but from a really true business perspective of understanding how much opportunity that actually is, if you have so much resource right in front of you. And that obviously requires some sort of a, uh, a background in a, in a certain field. Like in my, in my you know, in, in, in my case, a lot of uh, stars aligned uh, doing a PhD in bamboo and most of the chopsticks are bamboo. So I saw them as a beautiful resource. And then being a wood engineer, plus being from Germany, um, those three things aligned of, of, of seeing the opportunity, uh, not only from a product, but also from a business scale. You can learn more about Chop Value and their products, as well as how you can set up your own Chop Value micro factory by visiting chopvalue.com. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share with a friend. It's time to eliminate the concept of waste.